and we're live. Episode Happy Friday. Happy Friday. Happy Friday, Darby. Happy Friday. All right. Episode four. I think I think as as we get as we keep doing this, I think we get progressively better. We iron out more kinks. And we're live. Uh, and yeah, you know, and, and then yeah, to, we do it live. And we'll <laughs> if we make any mistakes, there's stay mistakes until the next episode, and then we'll fix them. So uh, but very excited today uh, because we have with us uh, Darby Sieben. Actually, how do you say your last name, Darby? You 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 got it right there, Sieben, Richard. Sieben, Sieben. right? Yep. Okay. Yeah, we have with us Darby Sieben. He's the chief product officer at Unbounce. Uh, Darby is a digital media technology professional, 25 years of experience with a focus on digital marketing, product development, and transformation management. Uh, and Darby is an impact leader. He was critical in helping transform one of Canada's largest media companies. Uh, and, and then he's been involved with uh, M&A. He's been involved. Uh, I mean, Darby is a player in the Canadian product uh, like tech world. And uh, now you are the chief product officer of Unbounce, where you lead engineering, product management, product marketing, UX design, and business development focused on ML and AI. Uh, and I think I think you are the person for us to talk to, uh, especially because again, the the thesis of this podcast is: Hey, if we talk to enough smart people in the product space, will we will we learn something uh, like or uncover this unique trend about how product drives growth? Um, so, to that end, first and foremost, welcome to the show, uh, Darby. Uh, can you just give us, I mean, I gave a little bit of a, a background, but can you just tell us about your background and how you became the chief product officer at Unbounce? Uh, what what was the journey that 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 took you there? Yeah, thanks, uh, Rich, and thanks, Tim, for uh, the invite on the show. Really appreciate it. Um, and uh, yeah, Sieben, you hit the, you hit it uh, you know, right on my last name. And by the way, it's Seven in German. That's what my last name actually is. Oh, it's, it's okay. Seven in German. I see. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, the journey, um, you know, I, I would say I've been fairly fortunate um, in my career to, um, you know, I think be somebody who's been a naturally curious individual and love the intersection of product and technology. And to give you a little bit of a background, you know, when I, when I graduated high school, um, I was uh, enrolled to become a computer programmer and I spent about two years in computer programming and realized there was a difference between a good programmer and a great one, and I would never be a great one. Um, but at that time, um, you know, there was a lot of interest as, you know, this was in the early 90s, a lot of interest in, you know, what was happening in the internet space and what have you. And I kind of found my niche as, you know, there's a little bit of an intersection between business and technology and how do you, you know, leverage what you're doing and then use it in a commercial environment, in a commercial sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had my first startup in the 90s after I dropped out of school, hired my, my friends who are the great programmers. Uh, we built our first startup. Uh, it wasn't successful, um, but it gave me a lot of learnings. Um, and, uh, you know, I had my second business in the early 2000s, which we ended up selling the Yellow Pages group, uh, joined them to lead their digital transformation. And from YP, I went to Royal Bank of Canada and they're part of their ventures group to build out one of their largest uh, ventures called Ampli, which is a cashback app here in Canada, mm-hmm. um, which is now being rolled into, you know, the, uh, the core machine of, uh, of RBC. And uh, about a year and a bit ago, uh, I started talking with Felicia, who was uh, the CEO or is the CEO of Unbounce. 
um, about, you know, the incredible journey that, you know, Unbounce has been on uh, for the last 13 years, you know, an iconic Canadian brand um, really was one of the first companies that put a stake in the ground and said, landing pages are going to give you a much better conversion than just driving traffic to your website. And, you know, the vision on where she sees the organization going and starting to think about, you know, all of the data that sits underneath Unbounce and how we can transform to the next 13 years uh, and really grow the business kind of attracted me to, uh, to the company. Um, and that led to, you know, the creation of a, of a chief product officer role within Unbounce. And as you said, Rick, you know, that covers, you know, the engineering team and product marketing, product management, uh, UX design. And then we're building on a partnership channel as well. Um, you know, to help accelerate, uh, to help accelerate growth. So I think, I think what, what's exciting for me and, and why I'm really excited to have you on, on the show is because you can answer a question for us that is by, by dint of the way Unbounce is business is structured, right? Like last, last year, you guys did, I think around 30 million in revenue. And then you had like, and that's distributed around like 15,000 customers or thereabouts, right? So when you have like that, uh, like that wide of a customer base, uh, how do you like, how, how do you think about driving good? Because at that point, like a sales motion, like where you have like a sales guy going and calling people, like I, I feel like that's, that's more difficult to achieve at that scale uh, versus like just actual product led growth motions. So what I'd love to know is like, what is your philosophy for like how, how you view like, the role product plays at Unbounce, right? Is it is it just like, hey, it's the value add for the customers or is it actually a driver for growth and a driver for revenue? So if you could talk to us a little bit about that, that'd be very interesting. Yeah, it's a, it's a really good uh, question. Um, the roots of Unbounce have been very much a PLG or product-led growth company, and it still is. Um, you know, ultimately, at the end of the day, um, you're going to come into our product and you're either going to find value or you're not going to find value. So product is really, you know, central to, you know, the unbounced philosophy of how do we combine, you know, a marketer with tools to give them better performance and better results. Um, and so traditionally, the organization has absolutely grown on a PLG model. Where we're changing a little bit, you know, with the partnership side is when we start to think about, okay, how do you go, you know, further into certain verticals or how do you go further into certain markets where, you know, a a good business development partner strategy actually allows us to open up some areas where, you know, if you partner with an organization who's dealing with a lot of clients, you know, and you build your tool sets in for them, it allows them to basically use the tools that we're building across across their organization. Um, if we think of it uh, that way. And so, um, you know, the next kind of phase and growth of the company will be maintaining, you know, product-led growth because we still have, you know, a, a huge marketing machine. We have lots of trial subscriptions and the 14-day trial subscriptions that are signing up. But then how do we take our toolkit um, and then work with some strategic partners as well, like resellers. So we've just launched a reseller program mm-hmm. uh, with Mendasta, like resellers um, or large organizations, you know, especially in the local space who might be selling, you know, search marketing or marketing to their clients. 
can we help them get better results off their performance by leveraging our AI-driven you know, landing page tools, as an example? So we're actually going to go both sides. You know, we're going to product-led growth still very, very core to the business, um, but then we're looking at the strategic, you know, partners as well. Underlying all of that, though, it is, you know, whether it's it's small clients or large clients, you know, our product is kind of ubiquitous in the sense that anybody can use it if they're looking to drive additional conversions. Right. I think sometimes at the lower end. Um, especially, you know, this is why we're thinking of the partnership model at the lower end. Um, it can really help when, you know, you've got an organization where you build with them because they may have a sales force that's out there talking to clients and they can pitch the value of, hey, here's our solution and Unbounce is part of that solution to give you a better return on investment as an example. Got it. Uh, um, go ahead. Tim. Yeah, I, I kind of had a follow up on, on Rick's question there. Um, I, I think, uh, you know, in your career, you've worked in products at, you know, Unbounced, which has a very PLG model, as well as presumably some companies that have not had a primarily product-led growth yep. model. So what do you find to be some of the key differences in how you make product decisions when you are in a company where product-led growth is kind of the main driver versus a company where it's not as much? That's a great question, Tim. And I think a good example of that would be, you know, the, the Yellow Pages experience, because in the YP experience, you know, the largest um, headcount really within the organization was our salespeople and our sales team, because they were, you know, talking within the, within the you know, unbounced organization, obviously, you know, product is, is a fairly sizable size of the organization. And so that's kind of one indicator you know, just in terms of a little bit uh, when you look at headcount allocation as an example between the two. Yeah. But I think when you think about, um, you know, go to the YP example, when we were building products for YP, um, you know, a lot of our products, we did not actually have a self-serve model at YP. Um, so we were building a lot of the products around um, how do we enable sales reps how do we enable operations people and how do we really simplify everything related to onboarding at the sales level and then trying to do it in scale? Because, you know, they were, we were dealing with almost a half a million clients. And so your lens is slightly different because your outcome is very much focused on the end customer, but your delivery is very much focused on kind of the teams that enable that. I think in true PLG, you're playing with both. You have obviously the outcome of the product. What are we trying to achieve for our client? But then that onboarding journey, um, because it is very product-led, is one where you know you do have self-service customers coming in. And so you've got to be really crisp on how do I take them from, okay, I'm in your environment. What next? How do I get the most value out of this? How do I surface up the insights and what have you? Where I go back to the YP example, we spent a lot of time after the products were built, we spent a lot of time on how do we articulate the dashboards of the product because it went to the sales rep who would then, you know, communicate it to the customer, which is slightly different than when you're self-servicing and you're inside the environment and you're trying to, to play. So there's a slight nuance in terms of, you know, the end results usually the same, but it's the delivery mechanism and who's your key stakeholder that actually right. delivers the, the end customer. Got it. So at Unbounce, uh, you know, if, if the onboarding is that much more critical, are you like constantly iterating on that onboarding flow, constantly looking for new ways to tweak that or experiment with it? Um, 
And, and would that be different than in a, a, another company that maybe wasn't so PLG driven? Um, no, I mean, I think there's still a lot of commonality even between the two. Um, so one, when we think of, you know, even before starting the journey, you know, what is your positioning and what really core problem you're going to solve? And I think that's universal period. So let's call that product marketing. You know, you've got end marketing, you know, what is the, the, the primary um, use case of why do we exist? What problem are we trying to solve in the marketplace and how is our solution, you know, better or different than maybe what the market has seen? Then I think there's the marketing side that starts to change a little bit. So definitely, you know, in a sales driven organization, we would put a lot more money behind the salespeople. I think in a PLG driven, you know, organization, you're putting a lot behind marketing and really understanding your target audience and pulling it down um, and, you know, focusing on the areas that can drive, uh, drive um, you know, usage. We leverage an unbounce, you know, the notion of a 14-day trial. Um, so when you sign up with our product within that first 14 days, um, you have full access to the entire toolkit. Um, and then you have the option to upsell from there. And then there's two paths. You know, one path is obviously within the product, um, you know, and how do we help that journey to get you from, you know, I've come into the unbounce environment. How do I build my first page really quickly? Then more importantly, how do I publish it? How do I start getting traffic to it? And then, you know, start to get leads off of it. Mm -hmm. And then combined with that, you know, the product side is what our marketing team does, which is all the communications, the emails, the, you know, training videos. So what we do on, you know, marketing and product are very, very interconnected on the customer journey from, you know, introduction of unbounce to sign up for a free trial to, uh, you know, becoming a paid customer. So that, that's actually really, really uh, like, a, like a great jump off point for, for, for me personally, because we, we also leverage like a 14 day free trial uh, mm -hmm. for, for our usability testing product, as well as our product analytics product. And our usability, our product analytics product is pretty new. And that's, that's pretty plug and play, right? Like where, where you put the tracking code on your site and then it just starts catching sessions and then you can view them. And I think, I think the value prop of that is is sort of more obvious as and the only user input that's required is like hey just go and put this tracking code on your site and then the data starts coming in whereas on the usability testing side right uh to see the value of our product it is necessary for a user to build at least a competent usability test right and and of course like if you know if we're getting someone that's coming in that is a user researcher a ux designer like sort of honed in their field like that's not an issue for them right but um usually when we start getting like further down the pyramid like you know let's say an e-commerce store owner that's trying to get some insights right or or like someone that has like a small you know like a like a small company that they're uh, you know selling direct to customer and they want they want some insights those those kind of people where they they don't necessarily have the know-how to build a usability test right i find like the product has to shoulder a lot of the education responsibility of like hey no, before you even see the value of my product i need to guide you to how you do this good enough so that you can see the value out of the product right and that's been something that we've struggled with a lot right and um i mean right now with with like generative ai and stuff we're trying to see if we can even lighten that burden but uh for the landing page creation right like do you do you find that a lot of the users Im impression of unbounce hinges on whether the first unbounce landing page they create is, is is good is it like hey the experience of creating this landing page was easy or the landing page i created with unbounce was good enough that oh like i see it 
right? Like what, like, right. I guess what, what is the, what, like how much weightlifting do you think that, or, or do you feel like the unbounced product has to do to like, make sure the user leverages the product properly, right? Like, uh, and how do you do that? Yeah, it's a great, uh, it's a great um, question. And <clears throat> So I think there's, you know, as you said, there's there's always a spectrum of, of clients. You've got, you know, the really sophisticated, let's call it, um, you know, marketers who understand a lot of these tools um, or really sophisticated designers, and they, they know exactly what they're looking for. So they're going to come in unbounce. They know exactly and away they go. Then you've got, you know, the other side of the spectrum where, you know, people have heard, okay, you know, landing, page, landing pages are really, really critical if I'm running a campaign. Um, to get higher conversion. And I might be starting the journey of coming in and saying, oh, you know, who should I use? And Unbounce, I think, has a really privileged position because when you do type landing pages, Unbounce is one of the top, you know, brands that are out there. And I think the team over the last, you know, decade plus has done an incredible job building the brand of uh, Unbounce. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, but then for that audience, as they come in, it is, you know, uh, how do I get to, so we very much look at how do I get to that, that page being published? Um, because, you know, our product is great, but if you don't publish a page, you don't start driving traffic, you don't start seeing leads, um, you know, you're not going to see the true value of it. And one of the things that, that we have, you know, so we've got our traditional builder, what we call our classic builder which is our, um, you know, pixel perfect. This is the, 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 the designer's dream uh, product. Like it just Correct. gives you boom, everything that you want, you know, specifically. But when it gets very pixel perfect, I think of it kind of like, you know, um, maybe Photoshop to, you know, paint as an example. It okay. can be a little overwhelming for, you know, less sophisticated users, especially that maybe don't have a design bend um, as an example. Right. So we also have a, a product that we've been building and innovating on called Smart Builder, which that one is really about, you know, a couple of things. So that's our big pivot to AI and ML. Um, so it is a semantically labeled driven product using, you know, big data to give you information around, you know, how do we optimize your landing page uh, across a whole bunch of different factors. Smart Traffic was actually our first AI product, which is a AI-based traffic routing tool. But with Smart Builder, you know, we tell users fairly clear, if you're looking for pixel perfect and design is, you know, right down to that, that one pixel, Classic Builder is the tool that's really going to allow you to do that. If you're looking for speed and something that's really driven for, you know, automated performance, mm-hmm. you know, Smart Builder is that. So Smart Builder is a product where, honestly, somebody could come in and within a couple of clicks have a landing page within minutes. Wow. Um, you know, uh, and, and we've got a great roadmap that's coming, you know, where right. you can imagine a world, you know, you're, you're just putting your URL and from that we can actually pre-build everything off of a template that you might select. Mm-hmm. Um, but it isn't important because you do have with any product, you know, a spectrum of users who, you know, will get it conceptually and understand it and others that are coming in new and they're going to compare you to other tools probably and figure out, okay, what's, what's my use case and does your use case satisfy what they're looking for? Right. Um, I, so, so when, just like you have like a wide spectrum of users, right. I'm sure like, you know, with, with something like, you know, the difference between the classic builder, which is like hyper customizability, right. Like you can, you can tweak it down to the pixel, like you said, and then, and then you have like something that's optimized for speed, right. Like these, 
like the decisioning that goes behind, like the, the roadmap for a classic builder is obviously different from the roadmap for a smart builder. Um, and and when, like how, at the intersection where you're at, like how do you decide or, or how do you prioritize like product initiatives and features, right? How do you balance your short-term versus long-term goals product-wise? Is that is that like a conversation that's, like primarily driven by sort of your objectives as like, you know, hey, just e esoteric, like philosophical, like this is where I want the product to be or and how much of it is like experimental uh, like or like data driven, right? Where, where it's it's like, hey, no, we learned these things and that's why we've even begin to conceptualize these features, right. like, yeah. Yeah, so the unbalanced journey, um, and and really it, it does start with, you know, obviously very much at, at a strategic level in terms of where we think the business is going to end up going, and then we'll start mm -hmm. to pull that down into product roadmap and specifics. Unbounce has made a decision, um, you know, when we launched uh, when we launched Smart Traffic, um, as we look at the landing at the landing space, and I think you know Unbounce was probably one of the early players in AI. I mean, we've been really you know leaning into AI for a number of years now. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when we think of the mission that we started off, which is how do we pair a marketer with the right tools to drive performance. Um, we've strategically decided that, you know, the investments around um, AI are going to be really, really critical and building out the product roadmap related to, you know, all of those, you know, AI driven based products. So smart traffic was our first smart builder is, you know, our second smart copy, which is copy generation is the third and then pulling all of that together and looking at our entire network and going, okay, how do we take all of the data that we've seen and Unbounce is in a very privileged position, you know, to give you a sense, we've seen well over, you know, 20 billion plus visitors pass through our clients' landing pages wow. uh, in the last half decade. We just surpassed uh, and, and posted it actually on LinkedIn about two weeks ago, yeah, you know, 2 billion different conversions. So when you start to think about the intersection of that data, we get a pretty good sense of what works for a marketer. And so why we're leaning so heavily into using AI and ML, both in terms of content generation, and then in terms of optimization for leads. And then the third phase is optimizing against your best customer. Um, you know, our roadmap is very much driven by, you know, fulfilling that particular mission, um, because that actually helps us um, you know, leverage into the strength of what Unbounce brings to the table. Because if we assume content creation is going to become, um, um, you know, so much more easier to do, and I think it is, than Absolutely. it probably ever has been, then I think that's one part of the equation for our marketer. But marketers are still always going to be looking for, okay, how do I, you know, get more out of that content. And so that's where Unbounce is really looking to say, okay, how do we look at your traffic? How do we look at your headline? How do we look at your copy? How do we look at the placement on the page? How do we use all of that to then give you very actionable insights to get better performance? And then you can imagine a world where a marketer may actually say, you know, let the machine do it all for me and tell me on the results and then we can continue to optimize. Mm -hmm. And that's what smart traffic does as an example, where it might say, we just posted a really great testimonial from one agency partner that uses it. And it would be very difficult because they run, you know, ads across multiple states. 
and you realize, wow, this state and Facebook, this is a better headline than this state, you know, with, with Facebook and, and smart traffic can actually, you know, narrow that down fairly quickly wow. and do it in a level of scale. That's very hard for a human to um, par parse all of that data. So right. when we think about smart traffic, you know, there's, there's AB testing where a human will say, well, I'm going to put 50% of my traffic here and 50% here, and then I'm going to analyze it and go. Well, smart traffic, you know, can have almost an unlimited number of variants and then figure out fairly quickly that, okay, mobile on this the screen size is a better headline over here and what have you. And that's what we're just really trying to solve. How do we take all the power of this and really put it in the hands of the marketer to help them make better decisions, get a better ROI? And if we do that, then we create a good ecosystem. Our clients win, uh, their customers win, and, uh, and we win as well. Awesome. I'm curious, um, with some of the AI tools that you've been introducing, um, the extent to which, like, because I'm, I'm thinking back to the, the uh, AI-driven, like, page design versus the kind of pixel-perfect one. And my assumption is maybe that the kind of expert, the most expert-level users are maybe more inclined to use the pixel perfect one where they have the most control versus adopting the AI driven one where they have less control maybe. Um, but I, I'm curious if that's a good assumption or like in general, if with the AI tools, there's any like trend of the, the kind of expert level users adopting those less or having more pushback against them or being more hesitant to, to embrace that. Um, yeah. And Tim, can I just add one more thing on that? So, and and so uh, Darby to, to jump off Tim's point too, like it, do you do you have to think about like hey the AI the AI stuff is to drive value for the low like you know the the mid experience tier or are you like no we want to build this AI tool to also drive experience like you know drive value for the people that are experts and have been traditionally using the pixel builder uh, or like you know the the classic builder but now I want them to like leverage this do you like how how do you how do you think about that? Or did it was that something that you had to think about? Yeah, no, it is absolutely something we have to think about, um, you know, because when you think about the evolution of um, a landing page, if I really kind of grossly simplify it, one is, you know, I, I need to build something that reflects my brand and reflects my tone of voice and reflects my imagery and reflects me as a business. Um, but I also need to build that that's really, really focused on a particular outcome and whether that outcome happens to be maybe a click to a website, maybe an e-commerce sale, maybe a form fill, uh, maybe a call, um, you know, however you define what uh, is valuable to you as a conversion uh, for your business. And then the third part is, you know, how do I optimize, um, you know, all of that, that landing page and I can optimize it manually based on observations and what I see, or I can start to optimize it based on a machine helping make some decisions. So we're putting a lot of weight into, you know, our smart builder product, um, which, you know, the architecture of that is, is obviously slightly different because it has to be built both for usability for a user and it also has to be built semantically for a machine to be able to understand. We call it giving the eyes to a computer to understand semantically what that page actually looks like. Right. So that we can start to balance between, you know, continuing, we're always continuing to improve on, you know, more usability and making the product easier and more flexible, but paying homage, or not paying homage, but also making sure we don't break the semantic labeling side 
of what a computer is going to need to see so that we can fulfill against that mission of really combining, you know, high performing landing pages that are on brand. Um, and, you know, some clients are absolutely, you know, will look at it and say, I'll, I'm, I'll give up on performance because, you know, maybe I'm a Fortune 100 company or whatever in my brand. It just has to be this particular way. And we know that that, that actually makes a lot of sense. But a lot of, a lot of clients are definitely, you know, um, on the spectrum of, you know, full design control to performance. I think it is a spectrum. I think it, it really does depend on what the organization is looking for. And we see a lot, you know, performance is a big, is a big factor uh, for, uh, for clients, which is good because if you're coming to us or any landing page client, you probably have this notion in your head of, okay, if I do this, this is actually better than just driving traffic to my own website. And therefore, you know, you're probably already somewhat into that mindset of performance being a key driver uh, for uh, why you're participating in the landing page space. If that makes, uh, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think, I, I think that does. So, so, I guess related, but slightly switching gears, right? When you're when you're doing that, and and it it is a balancing act, and uh, and like I, I feel like in general, like when you're building product, like failure is inevitable, right? Like you're like it's uh, unless unless Darby, you've been knocking it out the park like without fail all the time. In which case, like hey, tell us how you do it, man. But uh, but I like what I've noticed is like you know, we will set out with the best intentions to build something. Um, and, and, and like, you know, the mandates obviously vary from company to company, but I think in general, like I, how do you, how do you think about making sure that, Hey, knowing, I think it's important to know when I've failed, right. It's important to see like how badly I've failed. And, and then how do I set systems in place to make sure that I fail less and and like the impact of the failure is is lessened. So at, at Unbounce, right? Like what? Is, and, and I feel like this this boils down to measurement. Like measuring. Like I have to measure certain things, and this is sort of my definition. Or here's my bundle of KPIs to define product success for my product. And it, you know, for us, it's like test number of tests ordered, sites tracked, so on and so forth, right? And that's obviously different for uh, Unbound. So like, how do you how do you think of of like failure and like failure mitigation and and like turnaround like how do you how do you measure for it how do you know you fail and then how do you make sure that like hey with this this doesn't happen again sure no no uh, fair, fair enough and maybe let me let me just add a little bit of that first of all I, I i'm in a very lucky position to be to be working with incredible incredibly smart people across all those different functions right um so you know if, if i take it from a, a cpo level view um you know as i often like to say if, if i am the least smart person in the room then we're going to do something well um and uh, uh you know if i'm the smartest person in the room then we're in trouble um <laughs> and i'm very fortunate to say with with the team that that is around unbounds um you know many many days I, I definitely you know don't feel like the smartest person in the room which is a good thing mm-hmm. um i think failure i look at failure from the perspective and i actually don't see it as a negative i think that you know in any product development period um you know you have a thesis you you're you're going to launch something i think it's the framework of how you build how you think about you know what what we need to tackle next, 
how we're going to measure it, and then how agile are we in terms of being able to build, get data, get data quickly to inform a decision and go from there. Um, one of the mental models that I try to use is to think about multiple different ways. And on some of the bigger product initiatives, you know, if, if we go down this particular hypothesis and it doesn't quite actually end up working, can, you know, the same structure be slightly used differently in another, another use case, as an example? Um, but really, I think it comes down to, you know, on the, uh, the failure side, you know, sometimes you just have to throw things out. You know, you've got to have your guiding principles. And as we know, you know, publishing a page is a really, really critical step to whether or not a client is going to continue to stick with us long term. Then second is going to be, you know, are they driving traffic and then are they seeing conversion? Those are really, really big, uh, big pieces as well. Um, and then we've got, you know, small product iterations where, hey, we're, we're using it, we're putting it out. We see some initial traction. We look at cohorts before and after, and if we start to see favorable things, it's great. Then there's larger initiatives where, boy, I need to have a little bit of a longer time horizon because maybe I need to have a, you know, a volume of users using it before I can really determine. Um, but I think if you've got the right framework, um, you know, you've got a really, really good agile team, you've got a hypothesis on knowing, okay, these are, are kind of the two-way door decisions, let's move, and if they're wrong, we can quickly come back out. You know, where, you know, if it's a one-way door decision where we're making, say, a big monumental shift, well, then obviously that one, you're going to have to slow down and mm -hmm. test and use user research and panels and all that stuff to get a good sense. Um, but I would also say, you know, don't be afraid of moving fast and breaking things. You have to be a little bit careful on, you know, um, sometimes protecting, you know, your core revenue. You don't right. break your core products that are there. And, but I think if you're clear sometimes with users, you're also okay to, you know, kind of extend uh, and, and push the envelope. Mm -hmm. um, it's kind of the way that I think about it. So, you know, I look at it as, 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 as a framework. You're going to fail, but failure is just a different lens of success, in my opinion. Right. I, I mean, I, I think that's, that's a solid quotable moment right there. Like, I, I think we get one. For every podcast, I think we've had a few on this episode, but like that's that's excellent. Um, so <laughs> I'll, I'll weigh in with a question. You know, we we've um, just now touched on the research aspect of of the product process. Obviously, Trimata is a research platform, an insights platform, and our customers are, are using us to do product research. And and so I'm curious to know a little more of your perspective on how research fits into the process of. You know, not not just planning the roadmap, but identifying opportunities for growth, or, or just all, all the different ways that research plays into the product process in your mind. Yeah, and that's uh, that's a great question. I have to say, one thing that's really impressed me with Unbounce is um, you know the the attention to detail around kind of UX and research. It really was an incredible um, you know organization the way it thought about that. Um, and it's pulling in data. I think our research team does a really, really good job, you know, of, of looking at, you know, first of all, all of the, the feedback and input around, you know, what our customers are saying, you know, that are using the product, you know, what the product team has as an thesis. So they absorb a lot of information to start to think about, okay, how should we be thinking about the next major pain points within the business? Um, and then those kind of major pain points, at least as they go through the research, you know, starts to get validated, you know, as we're talking to, you know, you know, doing some, say, research panels, as an example, 
now we start to really think about a thesis of, okay, we actually have to solve this component of it, you know, and then we'll move towards, you know, doing some usability testing to say, hey, maybe we thought this was the right way to do it. You know, let's look at it a little bit differently. But in Unbounds, our research and our UX team play a pretty critical foundational role, both in terms of, you know, understanding what are those big rock movements and pain points we need to go to next. And then, okay, now we know what we want to solve and, and, you know, let's figure out, you know, the best balance between, you know, the, maybe the perfect design to the speed and can we get to a certain point where we can get a product in the hands of somebody, create value right away and then iterate very quickly after that. Um, they're really, really critical. And I think the, the last part I would say is, you know, as an organization, we think about, you know, there are certain times you can get you know, an initiative in the market quickly mm-hmm. because it's it's a pretty well as a standard way that the industry looks at something. And so you maybe don't need to do as much research on that end of it all the way to, wow, we're actually introducing something fairly big and now we've got to go really, really deep on that front. So, right. you know, in some areas, you know, we will, we will really slow, take our time to go massively deep and other areas will say, hey, let's go fast and then we'll use the actual usage data and then marry the two up to help guide, you know, roadmap what we should be tackling next, right. um, how we should be building things and how we should be innovating on them. That's, that's really interesting. I, I, think, I think there's something to be true, uh, something true about this, right? Like there's, the, the, there's some decisions that are obvious and it's like set by precedent, right? And, and you don't need to do like discovery 101 from scratch all over again. But if you're doing something fairly novel, at that point, you need to yeah, you need to like hunker down and then like you know test like test from yeah. the bare bones. And I, I think that's that's a good point. So I like you know uh, the the thing you said about like hey if you're if you're the you know not the smartest person on the team then like the team's gonna succeed and 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 I and I love that and and to, and I wanted to I wanted to ask you a question sort of from like the managerial standpoint right. When, when you have a team of like these really smart people, et cetera, and they're working on varying aspects of, of the product, of the product design, product marketing, et cetera, right? Um, how, how, do you, how do you like, what, what is it, how do you as the CPO put together a rallying cry? And, and, and you know, for me, like what sticks out in my head is the story I heard about, you know, uh, President Kennedy visiting NASA and then like he sees a janitor with a bucket and he's like, hey, I'm, I'm Jack Kennedy. What are you doing? And he's like, well, Mr. President, I'm, I'm, I'm helping put a man on the moon. Right. Like and there's this idea of like this overarching mission and and like whoever's on the team, regardless of what they're working on, they're still able to see or glimpse this like larger goal that we're pushing towards. Right. Yep. Uh, how, how do you bring that about as, as like the leader of like, you know, the product team, like how do you, how do you, how do you inculcate that? Yeah, that is a, that, that is a great question. And I think it starts with, you know, um, what, what is, you know, where, where do we see ourselves in, you know, where we're pointing the ship, where do we see ourselves out here? Um, and I think it's, you know, you've got to have a broad vision of what we sell. And what's great about unbounces we know the core problem we're trying to solve, right? The, the core mission is marketers paired with tooling. We don't believe that tooling is going to replace the person. We think the marketer paired with great tooling can unlock a lot of value. Um, you know, and then you've got our big rocks. And we know for Unbounce, a lot of the attention, most of the organizations really focused on 
you know, the, the using data now is kind of a heart of a business to drive all of our um, smart products um, and really leveraging, you know, that side of it. So from a top level view, we know the big rock buckets we want to solve. Um, and so kind of the way that, that I think of product development is, you know, there's a, hey, here's the high level. The team is building up the bottom and we're actually kind of meet somewhere in the middle. And then there's really just a prioritization and a resourcing and discussion issue about where we can, you know, what, what, what trade-offs do we need to make at any given point in time as we move, as we move things forward? Um, so I don't know if that answers your question, Rit, on, on. Yeah, uh, it, it does. Like, I, I guess what I'm saying is like, it, this is sort of more human and like team oriented, which is like, how do you, how do you motivate the team? Right? Like, it, like the, the problem that you, you know, the problem that you're solving and, and I understand that, but like, how, how does, like, does every member of the team is like, Hey man, I'm, I'm putting a man on the moon, right? Like, like I, we're, we're working to solve this problem. Uh, like, is that, is that degree of motivation, like where everyone feels like they're, they're like driving towards this, is that necessary? Because ultimately, like as tasks trickle down, like the tasks become more and more piecewise, right? Like it's, it's like, I'm, I'm dealing mm -hmm. with like debugging, whatever, or like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm like the QA person on this, or, uh, I'm writing a piece of code for this, but, but like, like, how do you, I guess, like, yeah, I, how much, how much of this is like creating a rallying cry or a North, North star, right? Like how, how do you do that? Uh, I guess is my question. So like, how does your team, like, wh what do you find that you've done well for the unbounds team where they're like, yeah, dude, we're like, we're, we're fired up about this. Like, how do you get a product team fired up about like solving a problem? Right. Right. That's absolutely. Absolutely. I think a big rally cry is two things. One, you have to have a strong vision. One thing that attracted me into Unbounds was they did have a very strong vision on, you know, we are pivoting the business from just being a pure static page, landing page company um, to, you know, an AI driven, um, you know, fast to market on brand, high performing, you know, landing page and then building peripheral services around that. And so I think that in and of itself is a massively interesting challenge that gets the team fired up. Um, you know, how do we take this this 13-year-old company that was here and move it over into, into this area? And so in some ways, you know, the builder used to be the heart of our business. Now data is the heart of the business. Builders are, are an incredibly, you know, big component. But the organization's thinking about, okay, the data side and how do we actually collect and leverage and use all of this to make, you know, marketer smarter. So then when we start to look across all of our different products, we all know we've got a common goal, whether we're building on, you know, the smart traffic team or the data insights team or, you know, the smart builder team or what have you. There's, there's this commonality around what problem we're trying to solve. Um, and then it just becomes a question of, okay, you know, what's the next right thing that's going to, you know, get value. And sometimes that's, you know, Tough negotiations between, you know, product owners, yeah. you know, wanting to have, you know, theirs going first and maybe this one needs to go first and that's just prioritization. Um, but, you know, we, we try to really build a, a, a world where, you know, to really empower the product team, give them a lot of space. Uh, a lot of what I try to help with is how do I clear the blockers? How do we, you know, create more clarity on the vision, um, you know, and, you know, the product team with the engineering team and the design team, you know, they're, they're huddling and figuring out, okay, the next, you know, 
pieces we need to solve and how does that tie into here. The metrics start to become really clear when you start to think about all the different, you know, um, we're doing this. Some of them, the challenge though, is some metrics are laggard. Uh, some metrics, you know, are more immediate. Um, and that's always an interesting balance uh, I find as well. Um, but I think it starts with a strong vision and then it starts, then it, then it comes down to, you know, giving the team a lot of air cover and a lot of breathing space to figure out, okay, let's, let's push this. Cause they're, they're closer and they can, you know, snap that up to the, to the vision in terms of, aha, you know, our, our, our primary goal is this. Yeah. So I know what I'm, I'm, I'm trying to build. If I can get, you know, more usage, if I can get more publication, if I can get more, you know, insights around conversions, we're, we're going to be in a really good spot to help our clients. Um, so I have one last question for you. We're near the end and then I'll let Tim, uh, wrap us up because we decided now we've learned that I do intro Tim does outro uh, that's uh, it's ma massive learnings but but my, my last question for you is um, for, for you personally right like you you've been now in the product space for, for so many years um, do you feel like this is this is something where this notion of like product as a driver for growth, has it been through other evolutions? So I think, I think with right now we're going through a transformation of, of AI, like, you know, AI being, I think right now it's novel, but very soon it's going to be table stakes, right? Like yep. if everyone needs to use this and the person that's not using this is going to be left behind. Like, and I'm, I'm sure you've seen that kind of evolution happen. Do you feel like when, when like the underlying tech changes, uh, the way you have to think about growth changes right or, or 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 do you think like the way we think about growth is that that is that is pretty consistent like the relationship between product and growth and all of these things just feed into uh like feed into like an existing rubric yeah if 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 i take a step back um and i'll just stick with the technology area you know internet was a big massive shift mobile you know, it was a right. big, massive shift. Cloud computing was a big, massive shift. And, you know, AI is obviously, you know, actually you could call Web3 as the potential of a big, massive shift. And was, I think it, yeah. it, it, the use cases are there probably a little bit different than maybe what, what started, but that's a different conversation. Mm -hmm. And then the last, you know, we're right now in this big AI shift. And I think through all of these, it creates massive opportunity. But for me, I look at it and say, okay, what I, what I try to look at when I think, broadly about um, product development, and I think broadly about product growth. Regardless of the technical shift, I think really understand, still really understanding the core human driver behind it. Um, and so sometimes, you know, us within the tech space kind of fall in love sometimes with the technology as opposed to the outcome of what technology, you know, does or means. So as I think about it, like, you know, 95% of the world does not know how cloud computing works, but they don't care. Right. Um, just like, you know, probably a good chunk of the world don't really understand how a combustible engine in a car works. Right. But again, they don't care. As long as I can sit in and turn the key and go, uh, away we go. And so right now, you know, with the big shift on AI, we're, we're, this is going to open up, I think, a massive opportunity for incumbents. It's going to open up a massive opportunity for startups. Mm -hmm. But I still think it fundamentally comes down to what, problem are you solving what are the use cases and how do you almost take the technology and put it behind and focus on the outcomes 
um, right? And I think that is, you know, um, I don't know the exact quote, but I think, you know, Steve Jobs made a quote a long time ago, basically saying, people don't buy technology, they buy the outcome of it. Um, and so when I anchor it on that, it doesn't, you know, I see the patterns on the AI shift right now, no different than mobile, no different than web. Um, and I think it's going to be the companies that are going to figure out how do I leverage the tool? How do I leverage the data? How do I create the user experiences? Because I do think the two differentiating factors are going to be, you know, your ability to collect your own unique data to sit on top of models mm -hmm. and then create, you know, other models on top of that. And then two, how do you manifest the user experience to make it really, really simple for the user? And I think, you know, that's a common thing across the board. Um, and if you kind of anchor it within that, it, it doesn't become so scary because it's okay, what are we trying to do? What are the use cases and how do we make it really simple for the user and not for the ones, you know, that are deep in the, in the, in the tech space, but for the bulk majority ones that just come in and say, like, I just want to give you money. This is the result that I'm hoping for. How do you make it happen for me? Um, and, and that, that kind of allows you know, it's not so much then about the technology. You still right. have to understand the technology. You still have to understand sure. how to use it. But it's not about the technology. It just becomes another enabler. And I do agree with you, Rick, that, you know, AI is just going to eventually be embedded into everything. Um, yeah. And it will be, you know, how do I create different models on top of those with my own data, with a great user experience? Yeah. That, that's probably going to be a big differentiator um, between, um, you know, who's going to win and who's going to lose. That's awesome. Uh, all right. All Kim? Right. Yeah. Well, Darby, it's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for joining us and, and sharing all of your experience and your insights with us. Um, we've had some great conversation here. We're going to get some great sound bites out of it and share those around. So um, yeah. thanks so much. Uh, before we hop off of here, is there anything you want to plug? Anything you want to tell, uh, tell the listeners about? Yeah, I mean, I would say, you know, what, if, if any of your listeners haven't uh, haven't uh, signed up for Unbounce and tried it, please do um, check out our Smart Builder product. Absolutely. Um, you know, that this product just continues to get better and better every single uh, every single week. Um, this week, we just actually launched a, a cool little tool. Um, again, just in that notion of how do we just help speed up with um, with uh, marketers. And this is, you know, a URL to add copy uh, as part of our Smart Copy product. Mm -hmm. um, it's a standalone. You just put in a URL and we can actually just spit it out all of the ad copy uh, based wow. off of that on brand, on tone. Um, it's a really, really cool little tool. Um, when you post this, I'll, I'll, I'll take it, uh, I'll take it in there. Um, um, definitely, you know, people should check it out. I think it's, I think it's one of those things that can just, you know, Hey, you know, help me, help me if I can save a few minutes. Yeah. After, let's do it. <laughs> Excellent. And then I would say you watch 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 what Unspunts does. You know, keep keep an eye out on us. So we've got a lot of stuff uh, interesting in the product roadmap that we're going to be launching. Um, yeah. You know, fast and furious. Uh, um, you know, to keep helping make marketers smarter and better. And if we can make them look good, it's going to make us look good. Awesome. Wow. It sounds like you got some cool stuff coming. Well, yeah. thanks again, Darby. Um, to all our listeners, the Redesign Growth Podcast will be back next Friday, same time, same place. See you then. Have See a good you. Friday. Bye-bye. Thanks, Rick. Thanks, Tim. Ciao.